Welcome to Minerva's Creative Conversations, a podcast show where I dig deeper into the personal journeys and professional careers of influential and successful women and how their stories can inspire others to achieve success. I'm your host, Minerva Salas, and today my special guest is Dr. Diana Medina Galvan, a board-certified family physician. Dr. Medina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Minerva, for having me. Diana, it is wonderful to have you on the show. Uh, Diana, you are a medical doctor that specializes in direct primary care. Can you explain to us what is direct primary care? Sure. Direct primary care is a new model of healthcare that has been going on for a few years in the United States, and now it's gaining more traction. Basically, uh, I work directly for the patient, and for a low monthly membership fee, they have mm-hmm. access to me basically at your fingertips. The patient can text me, can email me, or we can do a video chat. The beauty of all this is that I get to know my patients on a very intimate level, and um, none of the visits are rushed. Coupled with all of this, all the uh, procedures that we offer in-house are included. For instance, I had a patient tell me, I have a, uh, during the pandemic, I had a patient call me and tell me that she had an abscess the size of like a small lemon. And she asked me, can I come in? Do I have to go to the urgent care? I said, absolutely not. You come here. I saw the patient and I drained the abscess. So um, the beauty of direct primary care is that not only you develop a beautiful relationship with the patient, but you have coupled um, discounted labs, discounted imaging, and all the procedures are included and you're never, ever rushed. Interesting. So it sounds like primary care, the model emphasizes the full access to doctors, affordability and prevention. Are these some of the reasons why you left the old obsolete system? Correct. I was working for the old system for five years and I was quickly becoming burnt out. And then I started thinking to myself, I need to figure out an alternative because otherwise I'm going to drive myself crazy. And little did I know that there was a secret Facebook group called Direct Primary Care Docs. And I was invited by a fellow friend. And I, little by little, I started to getting to know what the model was like. And I attended a conference. When I attended this conference, I said, wow, these people are practicing medicine so happily without any barriers, without insurance telling you, for instance, if I have a patient that has a meniscal tear and phys- like I had a patient that this happened and they had a positive sign in, in clinical exam and then I had to order an MRI, the insurance will not let me order that MRI unless I ordered a knee x-ray. And that is not, you know, using your resources appropriately because I'm like, why do we need to do an x-ray when the palm's in the meniscus and you're not going to see that in an x-ray? And so many things like that would occur like on a daily basis for five years. And then I was like, I need to get out of this. I will drive myself crazy. And I've been doing direct primary care and I am so happy. My patients are happy. Um, we, we, we check in on each other and that's something that I love. There is absolute transparency. In other words, you're not going to get a bill, you know, that you're not, that you don't know about. The monthly membership fee on average, the most expensive is about a hundred dollars. Wow. And um, yes. So basically for less than what a cup of coffee comes out to $3 and 33 cents. 
Um, you have access to me at your fingertips 24 seven and you're never rushed. And I can keep you out of the hospital because of, you know, I, we talk about prevention. Uh, we talk about so many different things that I wouldn't be able to do if I were in a traditional model. I'm thinking of like, why is getting the primary care right so important? Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yes, because if you have a good primary care doctor, mm -hmm. you're, we're able to meet about 85% of your needs, okay? And so what the thing is with the very primary care, a lot of people think, well, I don't need to do that because I have insurance. Well, a lot of times the, the treatment that we get here in the U.S. is like, it's not proactive care, it's retroactive. In other words, they come in, you know, because they're like, I've had this, you know, abdominal pain for three months. I thought it would go away. And then when we do a workup, it's because, you know, they have fatty liver or they have, you know, a cancer. So many different things. But if you have access to a doctor where you see them continuously, okay, you can prevent things from happening. So the other thing is with direct primary care, I'm not telling people not to have insurance. Yes, we do recommend you have insurance because for catastrophic things that we cannot manage. For instance, I mean, I can't manage if, you know, you need a surgical procedure or if you get in an accident or if you have cancer, I can't manage that. But for everything else, I can manage. Okay, I can do a pap smear. I can do a laceration repair. We can you know, talk about ways for you to, um, you know, decrease your weight because obesity is related to a lot of medical conditions. I mean, I, having access to a good quality doctor is key. It's very important. I'm here that it has a lot of cost savings uh, when people consider primary care. Uh, you had mentioned memberships. Can you explain a little bit more how that works? Sure. So mine goes based on age and the majority of us do this as well, but we price it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So uh, for anyone from the age of zero, so months to 17, I charge $25. 18 to 25, it's $75 a month. And then 26 and above $99 a month. Okay. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it includes um, procedures. It includes unlimited visits, especially now where people, there's such you know, a lot of anxiety because of the current situation of COVID, you know, the uncertainty of people not having a job, losing their job, therefore losing their insurance, you know, having access to your doctor where you can talk to them, you know, and kind of just, you know, let them vent. It's, it's very necessary. Are these month-to-month -month memberships, annual memberships? Yes, these memberships are month-to-month, uh, -month, okay. but I do require a minimum commitment of six months. And the reason is because you learn as you go, okay? So what would happen is I would have patients that would join the practice and they would take advantage of all the labs, would get all kinds of labs done, do workups and everything. And then after one month, guess what? I don't need it anymore. I'm done. Okay. So I invest a lot of time on the patient. I am very big on education. Um, and I just felt that it would be better, not only for the patient, but for me, if they commit, they commit, you know, a minimum of six months, uh, that way they can try it out and see if they like it or not. And if they don't, they can leave. That's not a problem. I have not had knock on wood, uh, one patient leave so far and I'm very blessed. That's wonderful. You can also serve outside of the, the city that you're located in. A patient of mine, um, she's in college and she's up in Waco and she was like, hey, uh, please, I need help. And I go, what, what's up? What's going on? 
she texted me on the weekend and she said, I need emergency contraception. Can you do that for me? Absolutely. She did not have to be seen in person because we did a video visit. We talked about it and then she took the medicine. So as long as they're in the state of Texas, which is the only state that I am licensed in, I can you know, serve as a direct primary care. I do require a one-time visit in person because I really want to do a thorough exam. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's very important. But a lot of the things you can take care of via, via phone, via text, or you know, email. It works well because you're focusing a lot on preventive measures. So you're reaching now the entire state of Texas. You know what I mean? So, and it's a program, like you said, you have a six month commitment, which you can say, if I like it, I stay. If not, I do something else. But you're providing such an amazing service. I just don't see how people cannot want to continue this. And I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's just absolutely wonderful. So thank you. The thing's not very well known. You know, a lot of people just think that mm -hmm. I have insurance. I'll let insurance pay for everything. But then when they get a bill, they're like, oh my gosh, my insurance only paid for this much. I'm responsible for the remaining balance. But you cannot beat lab prices that are so cheap and economical. For instance, a CBC, which is, shows us how, you know, CB have anemia, how your platelets are, things like that is a $5 mm -hmm. test. You're never going to pay $5 for a CBC. As a matter of fact, I have a document that another colleague sent us, okay, from her insurance when she gave birth in a C-section. And this CBC was charged, uh, let's see, $177. Oh, my God. Okay. okay, when it's a $5 test. I have imaging that I can get you with local companies, and I can get you a chest x-ray for $40. Okay. Amazing. Yes. Um, I use two companies for um, mammography because I want my, all my patients to get over the age of 40 to get a screening mammogram. And depending on which one they go to, it could be $99 or $150. So these are very reasonable prices. So let's go into also people from different, um, not just from Texas, just from different countries. What kind of concerns do you have about some people who come from different countries who are accustomed to lower standards of care? How do you address them? Culturally, there's barriers to, to care. Okay, there's, there's barriers to access to care. And so um, what, when, when the patient comes in, you know, they get to know me on one-on-one -on -one and I let them know that all the information is kept, it's just between me and the patient, not me and the insurance company. And they can be very freely open to talk to me about any issue they may have. A good example that I like to use is, um, I have a friend that I've known for about more than 30 years and she's married into a Palestinian family. It turns out that this lady, her mother-in-law was having breast pain for a very long time. Now, this lady had um, access to healthcare. She had insurance. And there was a language barrier. There was a cultural barrier. But basically, to make a long story short, um, she ended up having breast cancer because that was never addressed, the preventative measures. Um, and, and I don't blame the physician or anything. But the thing is, is that they were so busy talking about, or, or I guess, treating her other chronic medical conditions because she did have a lot. This lady, she did have access to healthcare and because her visits were always so rushed, she didn't have the ability to just, or, or the, the trust to tell her doctor there's something bothering me. And it went pretty much under the radar. 
And it was only when that friend of mine told me she keeps complaining of breast pain. And um, I told her, well, let take a picture. Let's see what, what's going on. I saw she had basically a carcinoma in C2. Unfortunately for that lady, she passed away in August and she was put on, you know, palliative care and she was put in hospice, uh, but it was too late for her. But the thing is, when you have rushed visits, there's not a lot of things that a physician can address, okay? Right. Because usually a patient comes in not just with one complaint, they come with multiple complaints. So in a 15 minute period, that's the time that we were given with each patient, but the average visit between a patient and a doctor is about seven minutes. And it's not enough to, to adequately, you know, diagnose and talk about other things, including prevention, okay? So, um, so I can see why, you know, different cultures, um, you know, there, there's, there's a barrier between um, getting healthcare and, and, and the culture aspect. There are cultural barriers to that. And also I think with, um, let's just say the Latino community, when they are accustomed to their own countries and the way they are treated by medical, let's say professionals, they give them more time. They listen to their needs. Uh, it's not just, you're in my office and you're out. And I think what I'm hearing from you from your primary care, that you're listening to your client, you know, to your patient's needs. That's what, you know? correct. And that's what mm -hmm. I would always do even when I was in my prior practice is I would listen to my patients. And so they knew I would always run late, but they absolutely knew that when it was their time to sit down with me, I was going to be all ears. Okay. And that's yeah. very important. So the thing is in a traditional practice of primary care, you have to see an average of anywhere from 24 to 26 patients to meet overhead. Mm -hmm. Okay. But in a direct primary care practice, we don't have to have rushed visits because regardless, we're getting paid by the patient on a monthly basis. Okay, so you have access to your doctor. If you want to see them in person, that's fine. Either same day or next day appointment. Where usually, when I was working my own practice, I was booked up for weeks on out. And then we would open one or two slots for the you know, urgent things. Exactly, it definitely makes more sense this way of, um, of treating your, your patients. And they're receiving right. these amazing services from you. People don't, really understand the importance of preventive medicine. There is a wise proverb saying, I think you've heard of it. It says, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Meaning, it is better to prevent an illness than from it happening in the first place, and then have to repair the damage caused by it. Saying that, can you just tell us a little bit more about the benefits that your patients can receive with primary care? Well, a big thing is education because, you know, we're so used to in traditional practice, just telling the patients, okay, I'm going to prescribe this, you know, go, go about your business. But what I do is I like to educate my patients of, okay, the reason, you know, we're taking this medicine is to prevent, you know, this complication. For instance, I have a lot of patients that don't want to take blood pressure medicine. They're like, no, I feel fine. But then when you explain to the patient, look, your heart is a muscle. Okay. And like, any muscle in your body, when you overwork it, it grows. Okay. And then when you're working this, your, your heart is overworking right now because this blood pressure is high. And eventually that heart to compensate is going to grow. That's going to lead to problems. What are complications of uncontrolled blood pressure? It could be, there's a lot of them, but what I mentioned is like kidney problems, liver problems, um, you know, risk for a stroke, a barrier aneurysm. Okay. Something so simple as a urinalysis, you know, to make sure that they're not 
filtering any protein, you know, that's very important. So I go, look, you have this much protein shows under your UA. So I need you to be compliant. It's very important. So when you explain to them why, the, why you're doing this and, and why we check these labs, they understand and compliance goes up rather than just saying, here, take this medicine, you have high blood pressure. Yes, it's known as the silent killer. Usually no one has any symptoms, but the reason I'm giving it to you is to avoid X, Y, Z from happening. No, so it sounds like within your session with your patients, you're providing a lot of education for them. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? What I love is that I become like their little own personal medical expert. They mm -hmm. will text me about so many things, you know, things that they read on the internet, um, on social media. And I'm able to, and sometimes I don't know the answer, but I'm able to give them the, the, the answer that they're looking for. Of course, all based on facts because we practice um, here um, evidence-based medicine, right? And that's, that's something that you don't have in a, in a traditional practice, okay? Um, now, the membership does not cover, for instance, um, if you have to get a pap smear, I mean, the pap smear is free, but the actual sample that we have to send out to the lab so that the pathologist can read the cytology from the actual pap, it's not covered, okay? But it's very important of why we have to get a pap smear. Okay, well, it can prevent cervical cancer. Okay, that's important. Or it can prevent you getting genital warts. Okay, that's important. You know, so when you talk to the patient like that and you let them know why we're doing this, they're more willing to do it other than, oh my God, I got it. What, what's the point of me getting this pap smear? Yeah, and also for women of a certain age, I think it's so important to, uh, to have regular pap smears. Yes, absolutely. It sounds like you, wow, you've accomplished so much with your uh, medical profession. Being determined and disciplined is very important to complete an advanced academic degree. What advice can you give to continuing students who are having a challenging time completing their program? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, I would tell Thank them you. to just, what is the, what is their goal? Okay. Like what I would tell myself the times that I wanted to give up is where do I see myself? Okay. And I would say, I want to work for somebody for X, Y, Z time. I want to call things, call my own shots. I want to own my own business. I want to be my, my own boss. And so that's not going to happen on its own. You make things happen. The, the, the path to get here it's not easy by any means because residency is not easy. Medical school is not easy. You deal with, you know, imposter syndrome. You're like, am I worthy of this? Should I do this? You know, is this what I really want? But most importantly is slow and steady. You win the race. Okay. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other, and you will get to your goal. When I would look at the semesters like, oh my gosh, I have, I don't know how many semesters there were in med school, but I would, let's say they're 20. I would say, oh God, I got 20 and I'm only in one. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to finish. But then I would look at it from a different angle. Oh, wow. I got one down, 19 more to go. Let me focus on the next one. You know, so focus on little goals, little by little. Okay. Definitely. You need to have a support group, like um, whether it's your friends or your family or a significant other, those really help. Cause there's a lot of times you question yourself. You're like, why am I doing this? Everyone else is getting married and having children and going on trips and having this, you know, great time with their new job and promotion. And here I am studying and studying and studying and studying, you know, so you have to do a lot of um, talking to yourself, um, questioning yourself, this is what you really want and understand that perseverance is the key and it will take time and you will have the option to get married and to have children and to buy the house and travel. But 
you know, that will be a little later. You're just going to defer all that for, for a little bit. Great advice. Great advice. Now let's talk about your Tia Minerva, who was a very inspirational person in your life. Tell us how she encouraged you to achieve your dreams. I'm getting choked up now. <laughs> <laughs> Tia Minerva was a tiny little lady and I would call her my Tia Little Lady because um, she was a manager of one of my uncle's clinics. And one day I was visiting her from medical school and this lady was like, I need to speak with, you know, the, the, the little, little lady. My aunt was like four feet nine, okay? And she weighed maybe 90 pounds dripping wet, but her personality was that big of any giant, okay? And she was, she was amazing, okay? So basically when I was a child, um, she would take care of us. And I say us, meaning my 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 brother at that time and all the other uh, medina cousins we, we were plenty and um whenever we would be bad let's say we would break something she would say who broke it and we wouldn't say anything so she would get very close to our face like this did you break it and i would say no and she knew i would i broke it and she would say i see a little horse i see a little horse and me being a child i would go running to the bathroom like i don't see the horse where'd it go so i would give myself away and a lot of us did that. And so anyway, she always cheered me on. She always told me not to give up my dreams. And at one point in residency, I was in the lowest of lows. And I said, I can't do this. This is just too much. And I was about to quit. By this time, uh, my tia Minero was in the hospital. And I would go visit her every weekend. And she goes, are you okay? I noticed you're a little different. And I tell her, tia, I'm done with this. I, ca I can't do this. And she looked at me, and now mind you, she's tiny, right? So she sits up in the bed, and she goes, come here. And so I get close to her, and she goes, I see a little horse in your eyes. And when she told me that, like, I just froze, and I cried, and she told me her words were in Spanish, but basically the translation was like, you've swam in deep waters to come drown at the shore. Um, you can do this. And she passed away. A couple months after that, I was a second year resident. And then, you know, she's just been my, my cheerleader. She always told me, you know, that I can do it if I believed in it. If other people did it, why can't I? And that was her mentality. And she was, she was my biggest cheerleader besides my mom and dad. It sounds like an amazing woman. She, she sure was. She really was. I really wish my, um, you know, my kids got to meet her and... Mm. She was just amazing. She really was. Wow. Well, you know, Diana, I really want to thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm truly grateful for the opportunity to do this interview. And now listening to you and your services that you provide is just amazing. And I also am so grateful that you can encourage us to not give up on our dreams. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Please subscribe to our podcast to learn more about these inspirational stories. I am Minerva Salas, and I'll see you next time.